Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. A little lighthearted note before we get started in the message. I actually had one of our uh, church members that's a deputy sheriff uh, ask me if there had been a rash of uh, thefts in the county uh, of road signs this week. And I told him I did, <laughs> did not know anything about it myself. Uh, today on Easter, we want to talk about hope, uh, about finding hope. We're getting ready to launch into a series next week where we're going to talk about seven stories of hope over the next seven weeks, and our small groups also will be studying those. Uh, We live in a culture, I'm sure this isn't any surprise to you, we live in a culture in this day and time that it's increasingly hard to find hope in the world that we're living in. You listen to the evening news, everything sounds bad and negative. The newspaper sounds bad and, and negative. Seems like every way we look or everything we hear is almost designed in a way to depress us, to wound us, to break us, to, to pull us down. Instead of our world that we live in or the culture that we face building us up, we look at the political scene across the world. Look like a scary scenario. If you look at the financial systems across the world, it doesn't look really good. There are more Christians being persecuted and murdered in this time in history than has ever taken place in modern history. Simply being asked, are you a Christian? And they know if they respond, yes, then the terrorist is going to take their life. And yet, they're saying yes. That they know Christ is their Savior. So when we put all that together, it's really easy for us to to get discouraged and feel like there's not a lot of hope. The very fabric of our society, the basic unit that God created to start with, the family and marriage, is under attack in our culture. And by it being under attack in our culture, that kind of streams out and affects everything else, including the church. So a lot of reasons for us to feel like that we're without hope, or it's hard to find real hope in the world. So today on this Easter Sunday, let's change that. To help you understand kind of maybe where we are in our culture as far as hopelessness goes or people being discouraged and depressed, I want to cover a few statistics with you before we kind of jump into the message. The National Center for Health Statistics publishes an annual survey. The most recent one available was brought out in, in 2012, Uh, And they ask this question, do you feel sadness all the time or at least part of the time? And 10.1% of a random sample that was supposed to kind of mirror our nation's population said yes. That's one in 10 people. So we did a head count a few moments ago before I came up. We almost have 200 people in this worship center today. So that means out of the number of people here, uh, based on that average, there are about 20 people here that feel like they're really sad or discouraged or beaten down by life. And depressed. 
They asked, do you experience hopelessness? 6.1% said yes. They asked, do you feel worthless? And 5.1% in this survey said that they, that they feel worthless. Some category percentages to kind of give you a picture of what's taking place in, in different categories. And that, I apologize, but they got reformatted somehow, I think, in the, in the transfer over to this computer. Sad should be over the first column in the middle, and then hopeless and then worthless. So they ask how many married people feel sad, and it's like 7.4%. How many feel hopeless? 4.2%. Worthless? 3.7%. Look at how that changes. And those stats to me look like there's some value in traditional marriage. Because when they start talking to the widow, they were 20.8% sad, 14.2% hopeless, 8.8% feeling worthless. Divorced or separated, you see the stats there. Never married, you see the stats. Living with a partner, you see the stats. So those statistics kind of show that there are a lot of people in different categories across the spectrum of our culture that are, that are wrestling with depression and discouragement and sadness and hopelessness. The tally of those that are disabled by mental disorders to the point that they qualify for Social Security income or Social Security disability insurance is nearly two and a half times increase itself from the year of 1987 to 2007. 1987, it was one in 184 Americans that were receiving some kind of income because of a mental disorder. Today, it's one in 76. For children, the rise is, is even more startling, more significant, because there's been a 35-fold increase in the same two decades for children to be wrestling with mental disorders. A man that used to be president of the American Psychological Association back in 1988, he was speaking to the National Press Club about American depression as, as an epidemic. And he said this, we've discovered two astonishing things about the rate of depression across the century. The first was that there's now between 10 to 20 times as much as there was 50 years ago. So the day that we live in, people are wrestling more with depression and discouragement and, and hopelessness today than they did 50 years ago by 10 to 20 times as much. He said, when I first started working in depression 30 years ago, the average age of which the first onset of depression occurred was 29.5. Now the average age is between 14 and 15 years old. The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention reported that the antidepressant used in the United States has increased nearly 400% in the last two decades, making antidepressants the most frequently used class of medications by Americans ages 18 to 44. The CDC also reported in May 3, 2013, that a suicide rate among Americans ages 35 to 64 has increased 28.4% between 1999 and 2010, from 13.7 suicides per 100,000 in the population to 17.6% per 100,000 in, in 2010. You might be wondering, why on Easter am I taking time to throw those stats out? Because I want you to understand we're kind of facing an epidemic in, in depression. Well, an epidemic in people feeling hopeless in our nation. 
I'd like to change that, wouldn't you? I'd like to change it on Easter Sunday. For us to leave from here with a reason to have hope. For us to find reasons for hope. On Easter, there's all kinds of texts we can look at, but I feel like God led me to this passage in in 1 Corinthians that typically we read a lot of times kind of right before we take the Lord's Supper and we might say a few things about it, but maybe we don't ever get into it a little bit deeper. But I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and get into it a little bit deeper this Easter Sunday because I think by doing so, we can find some, some elements of hope, some reasons for hope on this Easter Sunday. Paul wrote these words, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup. And after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Till he comes. I submit to you, we can find a lot of reasons for hope on this Easter Sunday in these verses. The first reason for hope we ought to be able to find on this Easter Sunday is this. We can find hope if we will look into the past at what Jesus Christ has done. If we will remember what he's done. If we will look back by faith. And as we look back by faith, we will see the finished work of Jesus. We will see what Jesus accomplished in a great way, a grand way on the cross for our sins. Jesus, as our substitute, once and forever, went to the cross and he made full payment for our sins so that through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. If we'll look back to what he has accomplished, what he's done. You see, that's partly what Easter is. Easter is a look back to the finished work of Jesus. It is a look back by faith to see what Christ has done for us. And by doing so, we can find, we can find hope. We consider this scripture and the Lord's Supper that we're going to invite you to partake of near the end of the service, during the invitation time. We can find hope, first of all, in the bread or the body of Jesus. We can find hope in the bread or the body of Jesus. I read the verse a moment ago, those two verses. said the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he he broke it. It Kind of an image of what was about to happen to his body. He, He broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is for you. This do in, in remembrance of me. Consider the analogy of that for a moment, the the potential illustration that Jesus was giving us of his body being like bread. Almost every culture in the world has some form of bread. It might not be the same way that we have bread, but there's elements in every culture of something that that is bread-like or that is a, a staple coming from grain that helps to keep those people alive. We, most people, like bread. Most of us like it more than we ought to like it. Amen? It may come as a surprise to you that I like bread. My wrestle with that is this. That a few years ago when I found out I was borderline diabetic, and so far the Lord has not, you know, he's kept me away from any, having to take any meds or anything like that because I did lose some weight and try to watch my diet a little bit. But that's one of the things that, because I, I, I love bread. 
My danger of even talking about it is every time I talk about it, someone will show up in two weeks and say, well, we heard you like homemade yeast rolls. And they'll bring me some, and I don't have any more sense than to go home and get some butter out and warm it up and sit there and eat the whole thing like it's a meal just for me. I'll change it from one cabinet to the next cabinet to where the rest of the family has to keep guessing where it's at. But we, 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 we like bread. We eat, we eat bread. It's like a, like a staple of our, of our diet. Well, Jesus tells us this bread that he shared with the disciples that night during the first Lord's Supper. He, he tells us that, it, that it's really his body. It's symbolic for his body. And he said, this is for you. Now, don't read that too quickly. Think about that. The, the body of Jesus is for us. Wow, I mean, think about that. His body for us. God became flesh and took on a human form for us. He lived a sinless life, a perfect life for us. He performed all those great miracles, giving us the confidence and the testimony, bearing forth he was exactly who he claimed to be. He did all of that for us, walking on water for us. Still in the storm for us, healing the blind for us, the lame for us, raising the dead for us. But the biggest miracle of it all was that he went to the cross and he was nailed to the cross for us and he was placed in a tomb for us. But on the third day, he took his life back up again for us so we know that we have hope of everlasting life because he came victorious on the other side of the grave. Proving he had done everything necessary for the salvation that God was providing through him. He did all of that for us. And if you want some hope today, I want to suggest that right now, don't even wait till the Lord's Supper, but right now, remember the body of Jesus. Remember what was done for you, for me, for us, through his body being nailed to the cross for our sins. And certainly when you get a chance to approach the Lord's table, later in the service, I hope you'll approach that bread and you'll understand that's not just bread. It's symbolic of the very body of Jesus that was nailed to the cross for us. Not only can we find hope today because of looking back by faith and understanding we ought to remember what Jesus did for us and find hope through that bread that represents his body. But, but secondly, this morning, hope can be found in the cup, in the blood of Jesus. Paul wrote these words in the same way also he, talking about Jesus, took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I told you to think about the analogy of the bread a few moments ago. Well, do the same thing about this cup that, that, that Jesus takes. Think of the analogy of that. Jesus took the, the, the cup. I believe, based on the culture in that day and time and what the Bible teaches, I believe it was wine. That doesn't mean that drunkenness is okay. The Bible never encourages that. But I believe it was real wine. Uh, some of us, because we're raised as Baptists, Southern Baptists, and I was and everything, we're scared to say the word wine in church uh, most of the time. So, you know, if it makes you feel better, you can say it was juice. But either way, 
however you look at it, it was symbolic of the blood of Jesus. He, he, he took that, that cup representing his blood. Wine or juice is made from crushed grapes. When, when you see a grape and, and you pop it in your mouth, there's this skin that's around the outside of it that seals in the juice. And, and until you bite down on the grape, you can't really experience the flavor that's in the grape. You're not exactly sure how marvelous it might taste. You can't get the full flavor of it until it's crushed, either by you biting a grape or someone crushing it for you and turning it into to the juice or wine, but you can't experience the flavor of the grape until it's crushed. And I think in the same way, we cannot fully appreciate the flavor of the love of God and the flavor of the grace of God and all that Jesus did for us until we recognize his body was crushed. His blood was shed on the cross for us. And as we see him crucified for our sins, dying in our place, paying the full penalty for our sin, as we see that blood being shed for us, that helps us to get a better taste of the full flavor of God's love and God's amazing grace when we focus upon what he did for us in shedding his blood. We'll look back and see his body. We'll look back by faith and see the blood that, that was shed for us on, on the cross. It'll help us to, to fully appreciate God's marvelous love and grace. And, and by doing so, help us find hope this morning in the midst of a hopeless culture that we live in. Jesus performed a lot of wonderful miracles, and he taught a lot of wonderful principles and truths. And some people will say, well, he came as a great example, and all that's true. But that's not the primary reason he came. The primary reason he came was to die on the cross. The primary reason he came was to be the sacrifice for our sins. And we will fail to fully appreciate and understand why Jesus came unless we fully appreciate the great love for us as seen in Jesus dying on the cross for our place, for our sins. It's in his cross, his sacrifice, that we can, can enjoy the full spiritual aroma of God's love and God's grace for us. Jesus called it this. He said, it's the new covenant in my blood. What does that mean? Well, if it's a new covenant, that means it's, it's replacing an old covenant. And men had been convinced by the old covenant of the law. They had kind of convinced themselves, well, in order to be worthy of going to heaven, they had to obey the law. They had to be good enough. They had to work their way to heaven. They, they had to be this really, really, really good person. And somehow God would, would wink at them and let them in because they're so good. But because there's a new covenant, it's clarified now that that doesn't work. You cannot work your way to heaven. The old covenant involved men bringing animals to be sacrificed over and over and over and over again to partially and temporarily cover the transgressions of men, the sin of men. But that could not fully take care of the sin of mankind. That's in the old covenant. There, now there's a, a new covenant. Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. The new covenant is this. Jesus himself has paid the full price once and forever for the sins of all mankind so that whoever by faith believes in him, trusts in him, receives him as their savior, has everlasting life. That's a new covenant. 
Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 14. The Bible says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he's talking about entering into the holies of holies, not the tent, the tabernacle in the wilderness. He entered once for all into the holy places. See, before in the old covenant, there was this holy place and then there was a most holy place. Once a year on the day of atonement, a high priest would take blood and go back into that most holy place and pour out the blood on the mercy seat in order to temporarily atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. But now Jesus, as the greater high priest, the greatest high priest, he enters once and for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, never ever needing to be paid for again, an eternal redemption for the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies the purification of the flesh, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And what does he mean by that? In other words, all the the temporary sacrifices, that kind of took care of the, 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 the sins of the flesh, what was taking place. But you know, man still had a conscience. And somehow... Trying to be good didn't make you have a clear conscience. Somehow, bringing those animals to be sacrificed didn't really give you a clear conscience because you knew you had to keep doing it. So you're wondering, when is enough? You know, when when have there been enough animals in in the bloodshed to really cover for our sins? So So they didn't have a clear conscience. So he says, how much more shall the blood of Jesus purify our conscience through faith in Jesus in that cup, that blood that's symbolized through the Lord's Supper that Jesus shed on the cross for us through that cup? We can have a pure, clean conscience because we know Jesus paid it all. Once and for all, shed his blood for all time to forever cover for the sins of mankind. But did you notice he said, purify our consciences from, what did it say? Dead what? Works. It didn't say from our sins. Although that is true, but that's not what he's saying here. Through the shed blood of Jesus and faith in him, we are purified of our sins and we can't have a clean conscience from our sins understand jesus has paid for it but he said it will help purify our conscience from dead works from us trying to work our way to heaven from us trying to depend upon the blood of of animals and it never being enough all the dead works that can never ever accomplish it jesus took care of it all fulfilled it all as he died on the cross so our Consciences are clean, not just from our sins, but from our dead works that can never, ever give us a pure, clean conscience to begin with. You understand, I could not ever go to bed on any given night of any day of my life if it were based upon me being good enough or me having offered enough sacrifices myself to go to heaven. There'd still be a question mark in my mind. 
But when I understand Jesus Christ, once and for all, offered his shed blood on the cross for my sins, and I am forgiven, and I don't have to work my way to heaven, and I don't have to continually offer sacrifices, I can go to bed on any given night of my life with a clean conscience because I know Jesus paid for it all. We, we can have hope at Easter, if we'll focus upon what Jesus has done for us, there's, there's hope in the blood of Jesus. If we'll remember symbolically in that cup, it represents the Savior and his blood being crushed for us. In order for us to find hope at Easter, we need to look back to what Jesus has done. But also, in order for us to find hope in this culture, this crazy world that we live in, We can also find hope at Easter by looking forward, by remembering this, that Christ is coming again. Paul wrote these words after he described what took place at the Lord's Supper. Paul said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. By by us partaking of the Lord's Supper, as we will in in a few moments, we're proclaiming that cup. We're proclaiming his death. That's partly what Easter is about, but that's not all Easter is about. If Easter is only about his death, we would not have reason for hope today. But it is partly what Easter is about. That cup represents Jesus dying as the perfect once and for all sacrifice for our sins. Once again, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, we find this. And every priest stands daily at his service, often repeatedly the same sacrifices. In that old covenant, the priest is there day in and day out, all night long, all day long. They had priests standing by all the time. There's continually bloodshed of animals. There's continually a fire going up, a continual sacrifice taking place. They're offering it repeatedly over and over and over again, which can never take away sins. But we're told this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. When you read that in the original tense of the Greek, here's what's being said. When Jesus once and for all forever finished the work of redemption by dying on the cross for our sins, he went and he sat down a perfect tense verb in the Greek showing that he had fully accomplished everything that needed to take place for our sins to be forgiven. He sat down, never ever to offer the sacrifice again. I've had people over the years to tell me, well, if I could have been there or Jesus would come back and if I could see Jesus down on the cross and take his life back up, I would believe. Well, listen, you better find a different way to believe. You better take God at his word and understand that God's telling you the truth because I can promise you this, Jesus will never, ever, ever come back and be nailed to a cross. Because he has fully finished forever the work of redemption by that one single sacrifice of himself on the cross. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for their feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. Notice what he's perfected. Not just the plan of salvation, but he has perfected for all time 
those who are being sanctified. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, God set you apart to himself. You belong to him. He's in the process of making you more and more like Jesus. So there's this ongoing sanctification. Ultimately, one day we will completely be totally sanctified in a way from the very presence of sin. So if you know Christ as your Savior, what that verse just told you is this. Jesus, once and for all, has perfected you. By his death on the cross, he's perfected you. Because you've been cleaned by the shed blood of Jesus. That's why we can have hope and celebrate on Easter Sunday, because Jesus died for our sins. But that's not all the Easter story, is it? We also can have hope for this reason. Luke's gospel says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, the tomb where Jesus had been buried, taking spices they had prepared, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said this to them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, you're in the wrong place. You're not going to find Jesus here. He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must first be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day do what? Rise. See, that's the rest of the Easter story. If Jesus were still in the tomb, we would be without hope today because he would be like any other maybe religious quack or whatever that said, I'm God, I'm here for you, you need to follow me, and then they died and they're still in a grave. But Jesus went to the cross and he died and he proved exactly who he is and he proved exactly that he had accomplished all and fulfilled everything that God the Father desired for our sins to be taken care of because he took his life back up on the third day by his own power. He got up out of the grave. And because of that, we have hope today as we think about Easter Sunday. You see, we we celebrate a risen Savior. That's a very big distinction between Christianity and other, quote, religions, because you can go to tombs and you can find the person still buried, but you can't find Jesus still buried because he's not there. Because he took his life back up on the third day. He's alive today. Easter, we can find hope because Jesus died for our sins and he took his life back up to prove that he paid everything necessary for our sins. But also, as we think about this culture that we live in, where people are so hopeless that we saw in the stats earlier. You see, we, even as Christians, I think, we allow ourselves to fall into the trap of hopelessness and discouragement and depression because of our circumstances that we face in life. We get the wrong focus. We stay focused in the wrong direction. We're looking at the wrong place. We also... This Easter can find hope in the promise that Jesus is coming again. Paul wrote, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. What does the rest of it say? Don't be scared to say it. What does it say? Till what? Till he comes. Sometimes I think people get worried about that. Well, Jesus is going to be coming back. Maybe I'm not doing exactly like I need to. I'm afraid he'll come back. Well, quit doing what you're 
guilty for then or whatever. Because for a Christian, if you know Christ is your Savior, the prospect of Jesus coming back ought to be exciting. It ought to be something we get pumped up over. We ought, we ought to look forward to it. My, my goodness, the Bible ends, closes out with, with John saying this, even so, come Lord Jesus. That ought to be the attitude that we have. And if we would stay focused on the coming of Jesus, we can have more hope in the culture that we live in. I understand times are bad in the world, but Jesus is coming again. I understand that our nation seems to be adrift and on the way down, but Jesus is coming again to set up his kingdom, not some political party that's just going to rule for a few years. I realize that as we look at things, many of you in your own personal lives, you may be beaten down right now. You may be very discouraged and very depressed because of whatever you might be facing in your life. But I want to tell you something. You need to have hope if you know Christ is your Savior because Jesus is coming again. And if you're here and you don't know Christ is your Savior, you need to reach out and grab hold of the hope that he wants to give you by giving you the faith to believe in Jesus. The, the news, when you turn it on, when you listen to it, when you watch it, it sounds bad. <laughs> but I've got some good news. No, let me change that. I've got some great news. Jesus Christ is coming again, and he is going to fix everything. Whenever he comes back, Jesus Christ paid once and for all the full price for our sins. And through faith in him, our sins are forgiven and Jesus is coming back. There's hope, there's great hope at Easter. We ought to find hope. It's available if we'll just look for it. But we get focused here and we get focused there and we get so worried and tied up in the things of the world. I said we, I do it too. We need to change our focus. I've already told you that in order to find hope on Easter Sunday or any day of your life, you need to remember what Jesus has done. That's a look backwards. I've told you in the midst of whatever you're facing in your life, you can find hope if you'll understand that Jesus is coming again. So you need to look forward. And the truth of the matter is, whether you look backwards by faith or forward by faith, either way you see Jesus. And I'm thinking seeing Jesus and staying focused on Jesus is a pretty positive thing. That you give us hope in whatever we're facing. Jared was uh, home this week, some for Easter, and he, uh, he, he left early this morning because he plays uh, guitar now for Campus Church. Uh, I've asked you guys to pray for Campus Church before. Uh, to the last time I saw a stat in the two years that Campus Church has existed, it's a Southern Baptist church plan on the campus of Western Carolina University. They have over 520 people to Jesus. So you pray for them as they meet on the campus there. And it's been a very positive thing for Jerry to be involved there, but... Last night he was downstairs working on some of the music in, in a room we've got set up with guitars and amps and, and everything. He's their, their lead guitar player and uh, he was down there working on some of the songs and I was sitting down there uh, listening to him and, and uh, got up to, uh, to walk out and go upstairs for a minute and, and he said, well, when you, when you get a chance, you and mom come down here, man, I need to talk to you. 
Most of the time in my past experience, that has not been a positive thing. So, you know, in the length of time it takes before we ever get pulled off to get in there and sit down, I'm thinking, he's got a ticket. Uh, I've not looked at his car. Maybe he had a wreck, and I didn't realize that he, you know, hadn't seen his car, that he had a wreck, or, or his grades aren't doing great at college, or whatever it is. And I'm just sitting there, hmm, you know. And see, when we get down there, he, uh, he loaded up on YouTube the song Oceans. And started playing in the background while he talked to us. And he looked at me and he said, have you ever heard the story about why Jesus folded the napkin instead of just tossing it to the side? Now I'm sitting there feeling guilty. Well, I thought he did something bad. And to be honest with you, even after he went through this whole thing, I, I said, is that all? <laughs> you know, it's kind of... But he had seen it in an email that he had received, and uh, he was going to share it with the worship team when he got back up there. But this, don't go build your own denomination on this, because there's not a whole lot of evidence to prove this is why. But there's some conjecture that one reason he did it uh, was something having to do with the culture of a master and a servant. Because a servant would watch the table as his master would eat, and when the master finished eating, if he just kind of wiped his mouth and, and kind of, you know, wrapped up the napkin and just tossed it over to the side, that meant he was done when he left the table and the servant would come over and clean the table off. But if the master folded the napkin and set it on the table, the servant knew that meant don't do anything to everything that's on the table there. Don't break the table down, don't remove the food because the folded folded napkin communicated to the servant that the master was coming back. Now, after Jerry told me that, I Googled it and I looked up several things and, you know, there's not a whole lot to fully support that, that that was true in Jewish culture and everything like that. But I didn't tell him because the reason I didn't want to tell him, he was really passionate about it when he's telling it to me. And I'll trade off some passion for Jesus every now and then for being completely, totally, 100% sure on everything. Because I had my son kind of with tears telling his mom and dad, what the napkin meant. I'd already heard the story. But it still blessed me for him to tell it. Hey, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what you're facing in your life. But I do know this. Jesus Christ is coming back. And if you'll focus on the fact that he's going to return and he's going to fix everything exactly like it ought to be for all eternity, including fixing you and me. <laughs> then we can have hope if we'll look to the crucified, risen Savior who's coming again. We, we can find hope. This Easter, find hope. During the invitation time, we did this one time before, and I, 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 I kind of wrestled with it to start with. Well, doing it as the invitation was taking place, but I had a lot of people come up and tell me afterwards it was one of the more meaningful times they'd ever partook of the Lord's Supper. 
So when the invitation starts in a few moments, on your own, as husband and wife or family or friends, I'll be up here at the front, stay here at the front after I, I go through with my wife and family. And if you're someone that don't want to partake of it by yourself, I, I'd be glad to help. There'd be other people glad to help you. But what we ask you in the invitation as you prayerfully approach these stations, we have three at the front, two on the back wall. And that you would come up and think about that bread representing the body of Jesus that was nailed to a cross for you. And because of that, you can have hope. Take that bread and dip it in the juice that represents his blood. And remember, that's his blood, symbolic of his blood that was shed on the cross for your sins. You don't have to carry it back to your chair unless you want to and meet with their family somewhere else. Just take a napkin and pick it up, dip it in prayerfully. No fooling around. Seriously. Understanding what it represents. See, there's a warning to this. The Bible says, also in Corinthians, some people got sick and some people died because they partook of the Lord's Supper in the wrong way. So it's a serious thing. But it's a celebratory thing for you also. For you to celebrate the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a very positive thing. You might need to spend time when I pray here in just a moment and, and say, God, I, I, I know I've trusted you as my Savior. I know I've believed in Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. And, but you might need to pray and say, God, I, even though I know that, I, God, I, there's some things I need to deal with you about. I, I, I want to be able to approach that table and, 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 and celebrate the way I should what you did for me on the cross. You may be someone that doesn't know Christ as your Savior yet. But today you can, and what better day than Easter when we celebrate Easter? For you to understand that Jesus loved you so much, he died on the cross for you. It's through that shed blood on the cross that you can appreciate God's love and appreciate God's grace that he wants to give you. And if you'll admit to God, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment, but if you'll admit to God that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and trust in Jesus, plus nothing, minus nothing, it's all what Jesus did for you on the cross, then he will save you. He promises he will. And then you can also partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. If you do that, if you pray along with me in just a moment, I, I invite you to come to where I am and let me know you've done that because I want to talk to you just for a moment. And then I will invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper with others. Thank God there's hope. Amen. I hope believers will be praying. But right now, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, as everyone bows and everyone prays in their own heart, but if you do not know Christ as your Savior, will you pray along something similar to what I pray for you? I can't do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. But as I pray, will you pray something similar that I'm going to pray as a model for you to follow? Let's pray. Dear God, Father, I, I thank you for the hope that we can have at Easter. Father, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I, I admit to you that I can't fix myself. 
that I can't be good enough, that I can't save myself. I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross and do for me what I cannot do. I believe Jesus came and he paid the full price for my sin. And right now, I trust in Jesus and nothing else and no one else for my salvation. I, I stop believing that I can be good enough. I'm going to quit trying to work my way to heaven. God, right now, I believe that Jesus died and paid the full price for my sins. Lord, right now, I invite Jesus into my heart, into my life. I'm making a commitment right now to follow Jesus. God, I want to change my life. I want you to change my life. I want to live my life in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Thank you for saving me. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I invite you to please step forward and let me know during the invitation time. As the invitation is going, uh, visit any station you want to go to. But prayerfully, remember what Jesus has done and find hope. I don't have all my family here, but I want to invite my wife and, and uh, Bethany and her husband, the family that, that I do have here. I want to invite them to come up and, and, and we'll start here at the front real quickly just in case anybody needs to see a, a model to follow. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.